0: what a blessing uh, to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, your hospitality, uh, your kindness, and and welcoming me and uh, my wife, uh, Emily, and our daughter, Amelia, as well as uh, our family who's here with us, Chris and Amelia Woods and their girls and their family. Uh, We're just so blessed to be to be with you, and as a church planner, it really is encouraging to to come and worship and, and get to share God's word in a in a church plant context. To uh, to be with you this morning in this place and to see the work that God has done and to know uh, the story uh, of of the way God has worked to bring you uh, to this point and to uh, for for some not, some time now to have been been encouraged both both up close as well as from observing afar uh, the leadership of your your lead pastor has been such an encouragement to me, and I know just in interacting with some of you this morning, I know that uh, that same spirit is reflected uh, in this church. And so uh, thank you uh, for, for having us and for this time this morning. Uh, this time, six months from now, my family will be in Ann Arbor, Michigan, anticipating the arrival of the rest of our team. Uh, in, the coming, in the coming months, we'll begin working to see Treasuring Christ Church established by God's grace. This plan of seeing a church in Ann Arbor, Michigan has been uh, the outworking of prayer, uh, consideration, conversation, uh, the Lord's affirmation and leading for, uh, for the last four to five years. Uh, in some ways, we could go back even further to see God's hand at work. Uh, we, we went to Ann Arbor, Michigan uh, with, with a heart and a desire to, to ask God, is this the place that you would send us to see a church started? And when we got there, we saw a place that had great need, a place where 65% or more of the people have no religious affiliation. Uh, not only do they not call upon any Christian uh, faith tradition, but they have no religious tradition, no faith to call their own apart from Christ and the blessing and the life that comes with Him. We, we saw over 80,000 college students in a six-mile area uh, ready uh, to be reached and raised up uh, to, to reach the nations with the gospel. We also saw over 17% of the population born outside of the U.S. residing in Ann Arbor. The nations literally present at the doorstep, uh, at the foot uh, of the doors in Ann Arbor. And just as, as Winston-Salem, we, we see Ann Arbor as a place filled with lostness, that only the power of the gospel can push back. Only God can work uh, to see His name lifted high and men and women drawn to Himself. And so God's plan to reach lost people, as you well know, is the church. There is no plan B. God's plan is to see churches as outposts of His kingdom, as as beacons of light, as pillars of truth in communities bearing witness to Jesus and His Word and to the glory of our God. And so we desire to see a church planted in Ann Arbor that will lead people to treasure Jesus that will lead a church to be established, to reach people with the gospel, to raise up men and women in maturity in their faith in Southeast Michigan, North America, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, And as we look to do that, as we pursue that end, I have to be honest and say that we are not sufficient for the task. Only God is. And God works by His providential and sovereign hand to use the prayers of God's people and the partnership in the gospel to see this work established. And so uh, it is an honor to have the opportunity uh, to share in this partnership with you here at Emanuel Church, Winston-Salem. I'm grateful that the Lord has worked to lead us to this point and to be at this place together. And perhaps one of the best ways we could share in our partnership in the gospel is to actually receive God's word together this morning. And so this morning we're going to be in John 6, verses 22 through 71. Now, John 6, verses 22 through 71 is a long passage, uh, but I'm confident that you can listen quickly enough uh, for us to, to get through it. Uh, but as I, as I came to this passage, I have to be honest, I, I realized in the preparation of this message that perhaps there was some uh, secret working and meaning that the Lord was wanting to bring about um, and, and that meaning, uh, I, I realized, is that I'm about halfway through the, the Whole30 diet. I don't know if you've heard of, uh, of this thing uh, that some people are doing. Uh, but, but I think God led me here somewhere subconsciously out of the lack of bread in my life, as it's not a part of my, my diet these days. Uh, and, and in many ways, I think God has revealed to me that the Whole30 diet is maybe not from the Lord because Jesus is the bread of life, and you have to eat the bread. To have life and so uh, but also at the same time, I, I think I've realized that man must not live by bread alone, but by by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and so here we are today to receive not not bread to sustain us physically, but the bread of life that sustains us spiritually. in John six we're going to see that that Jesus really lays bare our searching are confused and often fickle hearts. Uh, he he exposes them for what they are and is going to show Himself to be the source of life. He's going to show Himself to be the one who can give us what we were made for and what so often we desperately want and need even when we don't know where to look for it. So as we walk through John 6, I want to ask you three questions for you to consider, three questions for you to to ask yourself and for Um, my prayer is that the Lord would use them to search your heart. The first question is, what are you searching for? What are you searching for? John 6, verse 22 picks up with these words. It says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into their boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Just the day before, we see that Jesus had miraculously fed over 5,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. He had done a great work that testified uh, to who He was. It was a sign that was meant to lead the people to see the sign and come to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. The signs throughout uh, the Gospel of John, starting with Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana, and John chapter 2 was was meant to reveal His glory to the people and lead them to belief. And so they had, they had seen and observed Jesus do this great miracle. Uh, they had uh, apparently paid attention to where Jesus was, that he had sent his disciples away and that Jesus remained. And so they wake up the next morning looking to find Jesus. They're searching for Jesus, a good place to be. If you're here searching for Jesus, that's a good place to be. We're going to see it matters what we're searching for, what we're looking for. But here they are searching for him. And it says that when they didn't find him at the place where he had fed the 5,000 the day before, they go down to Capernaum. And when they find Jesus, they ask him, When did you get here? Not how did you get here? Why did you come here? When did you get here? And Jesus uh, doesn't actually address their question. Instead, he cuts to the heart of the matter. He says in verse verse 26, Truly, 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 which is a way for Jesus to, to gain our attention, to say, listen, uh, listen carefully to my words. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that adores to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. So here they are looking for Jesus, and Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter and He says, you're, you're looking for Me because your stomachs were filled. They were seeking Jesus not because of who He was, which is what the signs were meant to reveal, but because of what Jesus could do for them. They, they wanted to come to Him to, to perhaps be fed again, to receive more bread. They're seeking Jesus, but for the wrong reasons. They sought their material need while remaining blind to their spiritual need so true so often of how we live our lives, seeking our material needs while being blind to our spiritual need. And Jesus actually characterizes their seeking as labor, as working. He says, do not labor for that which perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. See, Jesus is telling them ironically to work for that which they cannot attain on on their own, to work for that which only he can give them. He says that you are to work for that which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. There's something that he's speaking about. There's something that he's able to give that we don't have access to in and of ourselves, that we can't find within ourselves, but that only comes from him. And he says that God the Father has set his seal upon him. To set His seal upon Him is to, is to identify Jesus as the authoritative representative of God the Father who's come to accomplish His will. Jesus is saying that I alone have the authority to give you what you need. And if we come to Him, we can have what He offers based on His authority, based on God setting His seal upon Jesus. And so the crowd, as they hear this, uh, aren't quite picking up on what, what Jesus is saying. And in verse 28, they say, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Surely we can do them if we are to work for those things that adore to eternal life. Jesus, tell us, what are we to do? And in one of my favorite verses that, that reveals what Jesus is speaking about, He says, the work that you're to do is to believe and he whom God has sent. He shows us that we can't work to get life. We can only receive life. We get life by believing. We cannot look inside of ourselves... There is no spark of life within us that's waiting to be ignited by the self-actualization and the self-realization that we can have due to some inspirational speaker or some uh, transformative experience. The the thing that we so desperately need, we cannot get in our own power, and our own strength, but only that which comes from being given to us. So Jesus says, do you want life? Believe. Acknowledge that you cannot and trust that He is sufficient. Now, John's words throughout, uh, and Jesus' words throughout the Gospel of John, draw upon Isaiah uh, and, and, and show us how Jesus is, is the, the promised one who would, who would be sent, the servant who would be sent to accomplish God's salvation, His redemption, the good news uh, of salvation, the, the reign of God, the rule of God, the, the kingdom of God would come through a servant uh, who would be uh, a suffering servant and yet a conquering king. And this is Jesus. But the, the invitation to come and believe is, is so, uh, paralleled in Isaiah 55, 1-3. through three. Uh, We see the, the prophet Isaiah in the latter half of the book of Isaiah speaking to God's exiled people, comforting them saying, come and receive God's blessing. Know that God's blessing is available for those who believe. He calls them to turn from unbelief to heeding His word and believing. And, and I can't help but see Jesus' words in Isaiah 55. Listen to Isaiah 55, 1-3. Come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters, he who has no money. Come, buy and eat the invitation. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you work and labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? What's the answer? The prophet Isaiah says that God speaks to His people, listen diligently to Me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen. Hear that your soul may live. God says to his people in Isaiah. And here Jesus says, Hear that your soul may live. Believe, eat, feast, so that you may have life. So let me ask you, what are you searching for? On what are you spending your money on what are you laboring with your energy and your time? What are you laboring for? And I'm convinced we're all searching for something. The crowd came searching for the gifts that Jesus could give them rather than Jesus Himself. Often we're searching for things apart from Jesus, which ultimately can only be found in Him. You see, throughout the Gospel of John, He he uses, uh, and we see this throughout the New Testament, that there's these two different uh, words for life bios life, which refers to our physical life, and zoe life, when Jesus speaks of eternal life. He's speaking of life that's beyond uh, just the physical life. It's, it's resurrection life, literally, that comes uh, via the, the death and resurrection of Christ. We get to share in that through faith in Him and by the indwelling power of God's Spirit. Literally, eternal life is the life of the world that is to come. But what's, what's amazing is that Jesus actually says that this life of the world that is to come is now available in the present through faith in Him. You want life, real life, the good life is actually found through faith in Jesus. And so Jesus is offering us a different kind of life, a quality of life. This is the kind of life to which we should say as believers, now this is living. This is living. Is life. I don't know if you've ever had those moments, maybe kicked back on a vacation, you know, where somebody serves you just the perfect drink as you sit under an umbrella and the the weather's just right, and you think, now this, this is where it's at. This is living. That might be good for a season. It's helpful to be refreshed in our souls by those moments. But the thing that refreshes us and that satisfies us most is to have life in the fullest through Jesus. But the crowds, they can't see what Jesus is talking about. They're fixated on bios life, when Jesus offers them true life, the zoe life. They're seeking Jesus' gifts, not Jesus Himself. As one pastor says, they were excited about the bread as their pleasure, not Christ as their treasure. They wanted what He could give them without wanting Himself. And Jesus says that only life is found in Him. We often try to find the good life in the stuff of this life. That's how we so often operate. We try to find life in the next raise, getting the right home or getting the next gadget. We try to find life in, in relationships, being loved and wanted. We, we try to find life even in the, the good things that God gives us, like our marriages or our children. Uh, the, these things are, are good, but they, they can't offer us what, what only can be found in Christ. They're but reflections. They're meant to point us to Him. They're meant to draw us further uh, to Him to see His plan and purpose in our life. We, we try to find life in other people. This is my testimony before I came to faith in Christ. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be approved. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be loved and desired. We try to find life by getting power and influence. We try to find life in experiencing pleasure and friends, if we are honest, sometimes in the pursuit of this life and the stuff of this life, we just want to escape. And people turn to the bottle or to the pill to find an escape from this life. Some even try to take themselves out of it. We try to find the kind of life that only Jesus offers and the stuff of this life. And every time, we're left tired and wanting more. It's never enough never enough. Even the good things that we so enjoy fall short and perish. All of these things perish. We're not to labor for more possessions, the approval of others, or the pleasure in this life because Christ is offering us something better, something that we can't even see unless He opens our eyes to behold. So what are you searching for? Are you searching for Jesus? Are you searching for Him because of what He can give you or because of who He is? Are you searching for things outside of Him? And you need to come to Him for what only He can offer. So what are you searching for? But also, what what is your understanding of Jesus? Do you understand who Jesus is? You see, the, the life Jesus offers us is actually bound up in understanding who Jesus is. This is the key. The key to life is to know Jesus, And if we don't know who Jesus is, we can't experience and enjoy the life that He offers. And so uh, the most pressing question before us is, do we understand who Jesus is? Have we embraced Him, not for who we want Him to be, not recreating Him in the likeness of our image, a tame and comfortable and acceptable Jesus in the, the spheres in which we operate in this world, but the Jesus for who He says He is, for which the Scriptures. Say he is. That's what's important. And we see the crowd actually uh, demands a sign. When Jesus offers them this life and life through belief, through faith in him, they say, Well, what sign do you do? That we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So you kind of want to ask, like, did you see what he did yesterday? He just fed five thousand, but actually, their their demand for a sign uh, is is revealing something to us about who they understand Jesus to be. They're attempting to evaluate Jesus based on the ministry of Moses. They say, "We know you fed five thousand yesterday, but can you perform a sign on the level of what God did through Moses? Can you you, can you not only feed us for a day, one meal in a day, but can you feed us every day for forty years? Can you do a sign greater than that that we might believe?" So they actually reveal to us who they're understanding Jesus to be. And we know throughout the Scriptures, going all the way back to Deuteronomy, that when God was going to bring salvation for His people, He was going to raise up a prophet like Moses who would lead God's people and would speak God's Word and would do miracles and would speak truth. And, and so in a way, they're, they're rightly wanting to see if Jesus is the promised one. And we saw after he fed the 5,000 that the people said to themselves, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. We see in, in chapter 6 back in 14. And it says they actually planned to take him and make him king. They wanted to make him king and they would have had Jesus not withdrawn himself. So they, they rightly understand that Jesus isn't just any, anybody. He's not any prophet. But they demand from him a sign even though he has done signs before them. And Jesus says, you came not because you saw the sign. You, in essence, missed the sign and have focused merely on the physical reality of what I can offer you. And so just as God had given uh, Israel bread in the wilderness, Jesus is is going to have to correct the understanding of, of what the crowd is saying. He says, it wasn't Moses that gave you bread. It was God who did it. And now God is doing the same thing. But now it says he is sending the true bread. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread, that God, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You remember how manna got its name in the wilderness? The people walked out from their tent and they looked at this provision of Uh, of bread like substance. And they said, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? Right? So some of you, your kids see manna on your tables, you know, at night. They're like, what is it? You know, Um, now we see the bread that God sends. We don't ask, what is it? We ask, who is it? The bread isn't a thing. The bread is a person That person is Jesus for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to all the world. Now, the people listening want this bread. They said, sir, give us this bread always. But yet they don't understand fully yet the bread that Jesus offers, the life that He offers. And now Jesus makes it abundantly clear. In verse 35, in response to their statement of wanting this bread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, we must understand that bread isn't just an appetizer before a meal in the first century. You know, we're not just talking about uh, the cheddar biscuits, you know, that you get at Red Lobster or Ruby Tuesdays. Um, We're not just talking about uh, just a kind of a, a special addition to the meal. Bread is the staple of life. It's the staple of a first century diet. Um, they didn't apparently have Whole30 then. You know, They didn't know uh, this at that point. Uh, bread was essential uh, to life. And just as physical bread sustains life, Jesus is now speaking of something that which will sustain and provide spiritual life. Jesus emphatically states, I am the bread of life. I am the one who gives life. And these statements throughout the Gospel of John, there's six other statements that we identify as the I am statements to which Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the, the shepherd and I am the gate. Um, we, we see these statements throughout the Gospel of John that draw back on, 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 uh, on what God did through Moses in the wilderness when, when He met Moses there at the burning bush and God called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And, and Moses said, one thing, God, before I go, who am I to tell them is sending me? Who will believe me? And who am I to say has sent me? And God there reveals His personal name, His covenant name with Moses. I am Yahweh. I am that I am. And here in these statements, we see that Jesus reveals His divine identity as well as the way in which He intends to provide for the spiritual needs of humanity. He presents Himself as the giver of life. Now, the life that He gives, uh, we're going to see he, in many ways throughout the rest of John 6, Jesus is going to, he's going to repeat Himself in some ways. He's going to, to come at some things in a few different angles. And, and what I want to see, what I think Jesus is doing is showing us the kind of life that He offers. He's showing us the the type of life that is found in Him. And there are three words that I think help us understand the kind of life that Jesus offers. And the first is satisfaction. We see that Jesus offers all satisfying life. He says that He is the bread of life. And in verse 35, He continues, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's a all-satisfying kind of life that quenches the hunger pains of the human heart. It's the kind of life that allows us to say, I am at rest. I am content. I have found satisfaction. When all the other things fade away in Jesus, we find something that lasts, that truly satisfies. Is it just momentary It's not just satisfying for for a time, but it's satisfaction that lasts only in coming to Him. Do we get what I was speaking about earlier, where we say, This, this is life, all satisfying life. And I think it's interesting as Jesus defines this kind of life for us, this is the kind of stuff that we are all seeking. We all want satisfaction. We, we, all, we all feel the weight of, uh, at times, going through the motions and things never being enough. You're never quite where you want to be in your family. You're never quite where you want to be in your finances. You're never quite where you want to be in life. You didn't think when you got to this point in life you would be doing these things. Never satisfied. Jesus says, I offer satisfaction. All satisfying life. The one who comes to me will never hunger and will never thirst. But not only that, Jesus says, but I said to you in verse 36 that you you have seen me and yet you do not believe. He says that all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will in no way ever cast out. Jesus not only provides all satisfying life, he provides eternally secure life. He says we come because the Father has given us to the Son and all that the Father has given to the Son and His His sovereign grace, the Son, will never cast out. If you come to Him, you never have to fear being put out by Him. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and none will be turned away. All who call upon Him will have life. Jesus says this is secure. He goes on throughout... John 6 and verse 39 and verse 40 and verse 44 and verse 44, he repeatedly says that he will lose none that the Father has given, but raise them up on the last day. It says that those who believe will have eternal life and will raise them up on the last day. Verse 44, that when we come, unless the Father draws us, we won't come, but when we do, we will be raised up on the last day. And if you haven't gotten it yet, in verse 54 it says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and they will be raised up on the last day, eternally secure. The security of the believer, one commentator says, rests on the faithfulness of the Son. If we could expand that a little bit, I think we have a beautiful picture of the Trinitarian nature of God in John 6. It not only rests on the faithfulness of the Son, but upon the initiative of the Father who calls us and upon the work of the Spirit who gives life and draws us to faith in Jesus. Secure. Security. Jesus gives all satisfying life, an eternally secure life. Before I give the third word, though, I, I want to ask us, what, what keeps us back from enjoying the life Jesus offers? Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. Uh, the question I, I often ask is, what holds you back? What keeps you back from believing? Maybe as a, as a believer... Your faith is cold. Right? We we so often can find ourselves there, not where we want to be, not growing the way we want to be. What what keeps us back from enjoying the life Jesus offers? The simple answer that Jesus gives is unbelief. He says that that the, the crowds have seen him in verse thirty six, but they do not believe. And he makes clear throughout our passage that it's only through believing that we have life. Truly, truly, he says in verse 47, everyone who believes has eternal life. Unbelief is our problem, and the the answer that that lies before us is to believe. Now, what is believing? Jesus is about to unpack for us and help us understand better what what true belief is. But at at its essence, believing is, is seeing and taking hold of Jesus for who he is. As one person said, to take hold of Jesus as the all-satisfying, life-giving treasure that He is. That's what it means to believe. To, to see, to behold, and to take part of, to take hold of. To, in, in, the, in the words of, of the psalmist, and the, the essence of this passage, to believe is to taste and to see. It's to know for yourself. It's to take for yourself and to have life through believing. Now... What hope do we have, though, to overcome our unbelief? We can't just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and try harder to believe. It's not belief in belief itself that saves us. It's belief in the One who can save. What's the answer to our cold and different hearts as believers and to our distant, doubting hearts, perhaps, for those who don't yet know Christ? The answer and the hope is grace. That's the third word. Jesus provides not only all satisfying life and eternally secure life, Jesus provides undeserved life. It's grace that He offers us. The crowd, uh, upon hearing what what Jesus has said, uh, when when He goes on uh, to say that, uh, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, in verse 38, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose none, nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. What is God's will? That everyone who looks on the Son and takes hold of, believes in Him, should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Now, the crowds are are grumbling, just like the people of Israel uh, in the wilderness. They're grumbling, saying, how can He say that He's come down from heaven? How can he, He say these things? Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus responds to them and says, Stop grumbling. Stop grumbling among yourselves. Verse 44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has is, who is heard and learned from the Father comes to Me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who, who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, listen up. Everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that, no, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. You see, Jesus is saying that the life that He offers cannot be had apart from God the Father's initiative. No one comes unless the Father draws Him. We would not come unless He drew us to Himself. Hard-hearted, dead-set, on our own way, head full of rocks, hard, our heart as hard as stone, we would have gone our own way if it weren't for God's initiative to, to draw us to Himself. Jesus is, is actually pointing to the Old Testament and quoting again from Isaiah, saying, Everyone... Uh, who is taught from the lord excuse me in verse um, in verse 40 in verse 45 it says, is written to the prophets and they will all be taught by god everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me he's actually saying that it's through the scriptures that god reveals who he is and if we will have hearts receptive to the word of god our eyes will be opened to who Jesus is. In John 5, just a chapter before, Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, He says that, that you look to the scriptures and you still don't believe because you don't see me. You don't see that they're talking about me and that they're pointing to me. So God has to reveal Himself and He doesn't just reveal Himself uh, randomly, He's revealed Himself in His Word. And as we come to His Word and see Jesus for who He is, we have the privilege of knowing the life that only comes by the grace of God. As I was worshiping, I just couldn't help but think about the words we sang. I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I heard Your call. But Father, You work to Your will, by Your initiative. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near Your throne. But Father... You loved me still. Grace is what makes life possible. God gives undeserved life. But for the grace of God. How would you finish that sentence? But for the grace of God, we would not come to Him. But for the grace of God, we would not know the life that He offers. But for the grace of God, we would seek life elsewhere, anywhere but Him. But God, in His grace, has not left us to ourselves. And perhaps this morning, the stirring in your heart, the desire for satisfaction, the the desire to be secure, could it be that God is graciously calling you to Himself, giving you eyes to see that it's found in Jesus? Believer, is it that God is stirring up your heart to remind you of what He offers, to give you life and to renew that life in you through faith in Christ? And the the heart of it all is found in verse 51. The, The reason Jesus can give us undeserved life, Jesus says at the end of verse 51, the bread that I will give for the life of the world. That's the language of substitution. That's the language of sacrifice that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, my body broken for your sin. That's where life is found. Jesus is not a moral teacher or another prophet. He's the sacrificial Savior. He's saying that I will be broken so that you won't be broken under God's judgment. I will lay down my life so that you will have life in me. It's grace. All satisfying, eternally secure, undeserved life. Now immediately, once, once they hear this, It says, the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, legit question, right? What is Jesus talking about? He's saying he's going to give his flesh for us. And how can we we understand him giving his flesh to eat for us? And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up. On the last day. So let's be clear. Jesus is is using the the language of of consumption, of eating, to talk about the nature of faith. It's it's that we take Him into ourselves and that we have life in Him and He in us. And and He's saying in verse 40 to help us understand, Jesus says, Everyone who looks to the Son and believes should have eternal life and be raised up on the last day. Looks and believes. Now listen to verse 54 Everyone who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Basically the same two sentences, uh, look and believe is replaced by eat and drink. That he's talking about faith, the nature of faith, what it means to believe. Faith is feasting. Faith is feasting on all that Jesus is. His gracious and sacrificial provision for us. His body broken and His blood shed is is the basis of our hope for life. And so... To the, to the person that would be considering Christianity, the message that, that Christianity offers, that Jesus offers, is that you can't make yourself a Christian. No one here has made themselves a Christian, and no one here, uh, as, as has been said so well, God has no grandchildren. That we only come into the family by, by believing in Him. We can't inherit that. We can't make ourselves that, but it comes by God's grace. And when we see that, when we see that we cannot, but that He can, it opens us up to the life that He offers rather than seeking to get life in our own way. And and what Jesus shows us here in this passage is that His grace, His love to lay down His life for us and to give us life in Him should lead us to repentance, should draw us to look and believe that we may have life. The life of the world to come, that has invaded our present life, giving us life that satisfies. And I know for the church, Christians, as you hear these words, allow them to stir you up, to stir up your heart for Him, Faith is not just a single moment at the beginning of the Christian life, but it's the, the ongoing disposition of our hearts towards God. It's feasting on His Word, the, the, the ability to, to not live by bread alone, but by the very words that come from the mouth of God, to commune with Him in prayer, to be nourished by His work on our behalf, to delight in His provision for us. To, the food that Jesus said He had was to do the will of the One who sent Him. As we live for Him, as we love Him, we're, we're being nourished And so here we see the language that Jesus uses throughout as he speaks of this feasting of believing in verse 55 is the language of fellowship. My flesh is true blood, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The the life that he offers us is a life of fellowship and communion with him. If you've read the Gospel of John, Jesus' words might remind you of John 15. That that we are to abide in Him and He abides in us. We remain in Him and He in us and He bears fruit in us and we abide in His Word and we abide in His love and our joy is complete. There's this intimacy, this fellowship, this communion that we are to have. This is what Jesus offers. The life He gives is a life of fellowship. So if, if I were to sit down for coffee with you. And I I like coffee, and I can talk long over coffee. And I asked you, how's your relationship with the Lord? That's what Jesus is getting at. He wants to allow us to have this fellowship with Him. What's God teaching you this month? What are you reading in His Word? What are you praying for? How is He working to refine you and strip away sinful patterns and habits and thoughts? How is He he calling you to to live by faith? Is your affection for God growing? Are you growing in maturity? Are you experiencing His peace and His comfort in hard circumstances? How is your fellowship? You see, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, where he speaks about the kind of zoe life that God gives us. He says, A man who, changed, who has changed from having bios life to zoe life would have gone through as big a change as a statue, which changed from being a carved stone to being a real man. It would be that kind of transformation. And this is precisely what Christianity is about, Lewis says. The world is a great sculptor shop, and we are the statues. And there's a rumor going around that some of us, someday are going to come to life. That's what He gives us. From statues to real life. From cold stone dead hearts to new life. Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is the giver of life. All satisfying, eternally secure, and undeserved life. And the final question is, will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Him? We see the response of the crowd and of His disciples, and we're reminded that Jesus demands a response. Everyone must respond to Him. And here we see true and false discipleship defined. Discipleship is about following Jesus and helping others do the same. In verse 60 it says, When they heard this, many of His disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It's the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was among them who would betray Him. You see, false discipleship is is hardened by the Word of Jesus. See, John describes these people following Jesus as his disciples. Apparently, they were close enough to associate with him. But here, upon hearing his words, they turn back. And now it's important for us to understand, Jesus' words are slightly you know, different. They may maybe confusing here. But it's not talking about the inability to understand Jesus' words. It's actually not that they couldn't listen to them, but it's that they wouldn't accept them that they wouldn't receive them. His hard words weren't acceptable to them. They couldn't get on board with Jesus being sent from heaven, with His death being necessary for eternal life, with faith being the means of salvation. Some of them just got in the boat that morning and were following with the crowd. Some of them were following with their stomachs, hoping Jesus would give them another meal. Some of them hoped He would be a king who would conquer the Romans. And they say, we can't get on board with this. This is more than what we bargained for. They don't accept His words. And here as I, I, I hear this, I, I don't want us to allow Jesus' hard words to harden us, but that God's hard words would break us so that we would have life. That's the response. False discipleship is hardened by Jesus' words, but true discipleship is nourished by them. Jesus says that it's the Spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all. And the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. God uses His Word and His Spirit to work in the lives of believers. So keep returning to the Word of God, allowing the work of the Spirit to be accomplished in you. The disposition of a true follower of Christ is found in Peter's words in response to Jesus' question in verse 66. He says in verse 67, Do you want to go away as well? I love it that Jesus asks. He asks them, Do you want to go away? And Peter pipes up, as he so often does, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. True discipleship is defined by persistent dependence on Jesus. You alone have the words of life. To whom else would we go? So return again and again to your great need and God's great provision. Cling to His Word. Allow His Word to nourish you. Don't follow Him on your terms or at your convenience. Follow Him on His terms. Press into Him, even when it's hard. Allow His Word to, to shape you and to, to change you. True discipleship says, To whom will we go? And it gives a resounding answer of no one else but Jesus Christ, not out of blind ignorance. Christians do not follow Jesus out of blind ignorance, but of settled belief that He's the giver of life. And He's offering us life today. And if it's true that the Spirit alone gives life and the flesh is no help at all, would God's Spirit give us eyes to see ourselves rightly, to see what we're searching for, to see what we're believing about Jesus, to see if we're feeding on Him, if we're really following Him, and then that God's Spirit would give us eyes to see Jesus as the bread of life, as the one who will never cast us out, as the one who will never turn us away, as the one who laid down His life for ours, as the one who offers us satisfaction and security and grace. What we're so desperately seeking and sometimes don't even know that we need, He holds out to us, draws us to Himself, and gives us life. To believe is to really live so the final question today is will we taste and see that jesus is life let me pray father we thank you for the chance to sit under your word oh what a privilege god that you've given us your word And that you give life by your Spirit. And that the flesh is no help at all. And the words that you speak are Spirit and life. So God, give us eyes to see. Please, Lord, give us hearts to receive who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you that that Christ laid down His life, that we might have life in Him. Thank you that the, the searching and the longing of our hearts finds rest and security and satisfaction in Jesus. Lord, for anyone who does not yet know the life that Jesus offers, would today be the day that they don't harden their heart, but they look to Jesus and believe on Him as Savior. And God, would you stir up our hearts as your church to be people who are defined by fellowship and communion with you, people who live the kind of life that is qualitatively different than the life that is offered to us in our world. When everyone in our world says that it's never enough, God, would we say that we have found rest, we have found satisfaction and security and grace that sets us free. God, help us to see and to taste and to be nourished, God, by Jesus, by His Word. Would you work in us by your Spirit to to lead us to that kind of fellowship, to that kind of communion, that we might be your people, that you might be our God and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.